You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Um, If you would, take your Bibles and stand with me. Uh, Go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. We're just going to read one verse, so you won't be standing very long at all. Uh, John chapter 8. And we're going to read verse number 44. John chapter 8, verse number 44. Real high note to start this morning. You're going to love it. It's great. Verse 44, Jesus is speaking here. He says, Ye are of your father the devil. Whew, it's going to be good. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that is within its pages, Lord. I pray that you'll help us as your people to desire to know your truth for us, to desire to have our lives and live a life that glorifies you, to understand that uh, you are the eye of the storm. You are the one that your name is above every name, and we need you in our life every day, every moment of every day. Lord, I pray that uh, you'll be glorified by the things that are said today, that your people will be helped in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So I'm going to start the service this morning with an illustration. And uh, everyone likes stories. Stories are always fun. Um, I will start off the story saying it's not about me. Um, This is a boxing story. Manny's like, what? You say boxing? Huh? Uh, So it's a boxing story. It's about a a college professor I had at Bible College um, who was, as he grew up, uh, he was a boxer. He boxed a lot. He was super athletic. He was in charge of the sailor ministry when he was there. Um, I heard him preach recently at uh, the chapel back at my school, and he said over 40,000 sailors were saved at the Great Lakes Naval Base there in Chicago during his time as the sailor ministry. They would bring, they'd take buses out on Saturday. They'd go onto the base Um, And they'd bring sailors to church on Sunday, they'd feed them lunch, they'd do activities with them, and they'd take them home, or take them back to the base after that. And in his time there, 40,000 sailors were saved um, during his time there. So he told the story, this story, and it fit fit what we're going to talk about this morning. You're like, liar, father of the the devil, and boxing, okay? Don't worry, we'll get there. Um, So he told the story of of boxing. Now, if, if I were to tell you a story about my boxing experience, I have some. Okay, not like this guy did, but I have some. Uh, when I was in high school, we did, you know, they would do brass basketball in the winter, right? And you do fo- football in the fall, and then you do outside stuff when it was warmer out. Uh, we did boxing for a six-weeks period. And I'll tell you what, I was, I, more guys threw up during the boxing PE class than any other sports class that we did. Uh, I think it was the most rigorous training. I use that very, you know, loosely training that I went through for boxing. Um, and uh, it was not fun. Not fun at all. Um, So my experience of boxing is that and then uh, fighting Mike Tyson in a game called (laughs) Punch-Out. You have to push two buttons and you have to do it like perfectly on time or he just beats you every time. So uh, that's my experience, uh, video games and PE class. Uh, So this guy, way better boxing. He was just athletic. Uh, Brother Hooker was his name and he was very, was, he still is, uh, was his name. And he he was an awesome athlete. 
Um, grew up in Tennessee, and they didn't have much, so what he had he w was athleticism. And he devoted his time and life for it. He played football, uh, college football. He did, I mean, he did every sport he could do. Well, he was telling the story about boxing. He was 17 years old, and he'd been boxing for years at this point, and it was a championship-type boxing thing. And there was this match coming up where it was, he was boxing a 19-year-old kid, and it was, it was his last match within this, this weight class or this group. After that tournament, he would move on if he kept going to like the next level of boxing. So he was younger, and he could tell. He said, I sat there in my corner as I was getting ready, and now he's bigger than me. He's, he's older than me. He's got a longer reach. He's just built bigger. Um, and, but, you know, he's like, I just always, every time I box, I just gave everything I did. So he goes, I sat in my corner, and my, my coach is like, all right, you're a dog on a leash. He's like, that's all I'm going to tell you. It's just, you just go. When I let this leash go, that bell rings, you just go. And he said, I developed a pretty good jab, a pretty good left-handed jab. He had won a lot of matches up to this point by knockout. He goes, I think he told the story, he broke like three or four guys' noses on the way up. Like, you know, real things you just kick on your belt because that's, you know, impressive. Um, and so he, was, he has confidence, even though this kid is bigger than him and, and you know, more experienced, he has confidence that he's going to be able to do it. Um, and he, that left-handed jab was his strong suit. He just had a real strong jab, and he, he, that's how he got started. So the bell rings, and he goes out there, and he meets him more than halfway across the ring. So he's charging, aggressive, and he throws that jab out there, and he says something happened that never, ever happened before. He goes, I threw that jab out there, and all of a sudden I get hit in the left eye. So who he was fighting against, this guy's a counterpuncher. So he goes, I never landed. A he goes, I kept jabbing, I kept throwing out jabs, and every time I jab, he'd just come right over top, hit me in the eye. He goes, so here I am trading lefts that are missing for rights that are hitting. And he goes, but I don't know what else to do. He goes, so I just keep throwing that left. I'm dancing around, hitting that, throwing that left, and it's just not hitting. But every time I throw that lift, man, right over my eye, just gets smacked. And round ends, he goes, sits down, and his coach is like, you got, what are you doing? He's like, I don't know. He goes, I don't know what to do. I keep throwing my left, and I just keep hitting on my eye. He's like, well, you got you to mix it up a little bit. You got to go in there. You got to try to do something different. So the bell rings, he goes out there, he tries a few things different, doesn't work, so he goes back to his left hand, jab, punch, left, right. He just gets, I mean, his eye is just getting mashed. End of the second round, he sits down, his eye, he, he said this, it was a funny thing, he's like, you know, my, by the time of the end of the second round, my eye was basically shut. He goes, which is a good thing. He goes, because if you're going to get killed, it's better, not, better off not to see it, you know. So if you're going to get murdered, just keep that eye shut, why, why you need to see it. But his eye is swollen shut. I mean, it's bad. He's getting nowhere in this fight. He's, he has no points. He is, he's just getting beat up terribly. Um, but he, said, he tells a story growing up. He goes, we didn't quit. My dad told me, you don't quit. No matter what, you don't quit. You keep pushing, you keep fighting, you don't quit. No matter what it is in life, you don't quit. Well, his coach at this point is like, his name was Bob. He's like, Bobby, we got to throw in the towel. If you're not aware, familiar, you've heard that phrase before, it literally means you throw in the towel, you, you forfeit, right? The, the match is over, we give up. And he's like, I'm sitting there, and he goes, if you've ever boxed, you don't really hear every word that your coach is saying, especially if your eyes swollen shut and the crowd is, is roaring. He's like, all I can remember hearing is him saying, we got to throw in the towel, Bobby. we got to throw in the towel. You can't do this. we got to throw in the towel. And we'll come back to the rest of the story here in a little bit. So here in John chapter 8, cliffhanger is what that's called, okay? So you pay attention just because you never know when I'll bring it back up. Uh, John chapter 8, we have Jesus here uh, talking to the Pharisees. And they're debating with him who he is, who Jesus claims to be. And we know Jesus claims to be the Son of God because he is. He claims that God the Father is his Father because he is. And the Pharisees, are, they, they don't believe it. 
They don't buy it. They don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and they keep trying to manipulate him and trick him into saying that he's not or not believing him, and Jesus basically just calls him out and says, you know what, the reason you don't believe me is because you're of your father, the devil. Yo, you ever been called the son of a devil? Son of the devil? That's a pretty scathing accusation that he makes. But he, while he's making these accusations, while he's telling these Pharisees these things, he informs us, looking back in, in Scripture, some things about the devil. Right? He tells us some things about the devil. And we all understand as Christians, as followers of Christ, that the devil is our adversary. Right? He is, he is the antagonist. He is, he is the enemy that seeks, like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He, he would love nothing more but for every Christian to just fall off the scene through death, through ineffectiveness, for whatever the case. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't like you. He hates you. As a Christian, he hates everything that you are. He hates the person that you stand for. He hates the person that saved your soul in the Lord Jesus. He hates, like, more than you can fathom hate everything about what is happening here this morning, the fact that you have a Bible in your lap that's open, the fact that you're actually paying attention this moment. He loathes it more than anything. And Jesus tells us a few things about the devil, about our accuser. He says that he was a murderer from the beginning. And we know murder is bad, right? Killing people, taking life is, is wrong um, and is evil. And he is saying the devil is, was a murderer from the very beginning. And I, you can, I mean, we could do a study on that going back to heaven when he was Lucifer and, and the, the angel you know, of light and, and all the things that he did to fall and then tricking Eve into eating the fruit from the very beginning, murder was the intent of his heart. That's who he is. Uh, there is no truth in him, the verse says. None. He cannot speak truth. Right? You, we all know those, and maybe you went through a stage in life when you were younger where you just, it, you lied. Right? Usually when kids lie so they don't get in trouble. Right? Did you, did you, what is that? Did you eat this chocolate cake with chocolate cake in their teeth? No, that was not me. Right? That's just a straight up lie. No truth in that statement at all. And then we get older and sometimes we lie to uh, look better to people. We, we embellish, we call it exaggerating or embellishing the stories or, or our accolades or, or our character. Um, as we get older, we lie, we embellish, usually to make people think better of us. We can lie in those ways. But in this case, nothing the devil ever says is true. Nothing, right? That, that's what no truth in him means. All he speaks is lies is because that's all he is. That's all he can do, right? So when you look at this world, and this is just kind of a little side rabbit trail, when you look at this world and the things that the world tries to tell us and manipulate truth and, and twist things, and if you just think, you're like, man, that actually kind of sounds maybe partially true or kind of right, remember, the devil cannot tell the truth. He never does. Never a little bit, not none. He tells, he, he lies all the time. And so much so that Jesus calls him the father of lies. He can, I mean, that's, he is a liar and the father of it. That's a big deal. To be, to, to a big accusation that Jesus puts there. And that's not just to stick his finger in the devil's face, but that's to inform us as his believers that this is the type of person, this is the type of being that we're up against. Someone that tells no truth, that is not truth, is a murderer from the beginning, and is the father of lies. Our adversary tells serious lies. Not, I just didn't eat the cake when I actually did. 
He tells real serious big lies. That's how he operates. That's who he is. And here's the scary thing about it. He, he knows humans. You realize that? His, he knows how humans operate. He has been manipulating and being involved in human lives for thousands of years. Right? We think as we get older, we get used to how people operate. You learn your kids, and as you have parents, you learn what, what motivates them, what things to get them to do what they're supposed to do. Usually a spanking works real well. But other ways that you can do things, that was kind of a joke, but serious. I know, it's Sunday morning, it's hard. Um, but things that you can do, and you learn people's character traits, you learn their personality traits, you learn people. And there are people that are people people, right? That they just, like you, ever, you have that friend, that you don't even say a word, and they can look at you and be like, what's wrong? And you're like, I didn't say anything. Do you have telepathy? What's going on here? How do you know what's going inside my soul right this minute? Right? People, people that know how people think and operate. The devil is the ultimate of that. He knows people, and he knows how to manipulate us. He knows how to tell lies that sound like truths. He knows how to get us to do what he wants if we're not careful. Lies can sound similar to truth. We all know that, right? Deception, right? One of the first lies he said was what? Yea, hath God said? Right? He didn't even straight up tell a lie. He just questioned truth. Eve says this, and he's like, but did he? Is that what he meant? What if he meant this? Actually, what God meant, lie, right? And he has learned since Eve, since Adam and Eve, how to tell us lies, I mean, Adam and Eve, they weren't worldly people, right? They've been living in perfection. They were God's children, right? They were probably the best Christians that ever lived. And he tripped them up with a lie. But we're, we, and sometimes we think, well, God, the devil will never get me. I've, I've been a Christian since I was 10 years old. I go to church all the time. I read my Bible and I pray. The devil will never trip me up. Don't lie. <laughs> the devil can trip us up. So he knows how humans think. He knows how humans operate. He's an expert on human behavior, one would say. So what are his purposes for lying? Why, why does the devil lie? I mean, we, that's what he is. That's all he can do. I think there are a couple purposes that, for reasons that he lies. One is to keep sinners from the truth of the gospel. Right? His ultimate, ultimate, ultimate goal is to prevent those that don't know of the saving power of Jesus Christ of over our sin, the ability that he has when he died on the cross and shed his blood to make a payment for our sin nature, which there's a payment for sin, right? That you can't just live in sin and that's when you die, it's over. There's a payment. And when humans try to pay for their own sin, that means eternity in hell. Separated from God for all eternity, like not a hundred years, not a thousand years, but forever. That's the only way that that payment can be made. So Jesus came to this earth, lived as a man, here he is speaking to his disciples, to Pharisees, died on the cross and paid the penalty for our sin so we don't have to. So he shed his blood, which pays the penalty for our sin. But we have to accept that, right? We have to accept that payment. We have to say, I will take that payment. And instead of paying it for myself, I will take Jesus' payment for me and accept him as my savior from hell. Then the, Lord, the devil doesn't want anyone to do that. The fewer people that make that choice, make that decision, make that acceptance, the better for him. Because he hates God. God loves us. And so the more people that the devil can keep away from God for all eternity, the happier he is. It's not even happiness, it's just spitefulness, anger. I mean, we, we assign villain roles to the devil like we're watching a movie or a TV show, right? This villain that's just dastardly. 
No, the devil is far, time, far worse than any villain we can conceive of, humanly speaking, because he doesn't just want to take us to hell because it makes him happy or because he enjoys it. He wants to take people to hell because he hates God. Hates him. Hates everything he stands for, which means he hates you, which means he hates people that aren't saved, those that have not accepted Christ as Savior. He will do whatever he can, lie, manipulate, to prevent them from coming to that knowledge. That's his number one goal. Secondly, once you're saved, now he has no control over you. He can't determine your destiny. You have already accepted Christ as your Savior. You're on your way to heaven. Nothing he can lie or do to prevent that. Jesus is more powerful than him. But he can prevent you from telling others about that. He can mess up your life here on this earth. And because he hates God so much, he now hates you because you're one of his children. So he hates you just as much as he hates God. So now he wants to prevent you from living a victorious life that Jesus brings. He wants you to live miserable. He wants you to be unhappy. He wants you just to just everything about life just be bleh. That's what he wants. Very technical term, bleh, if you want to write that down, B-L-E-H. Okay, just making sure we're still awake here. The devil hates you. If you're saved, if you're washed by the blood of the lamb, he hates your guts and everything you stand for and everything you do. And his goal, now that you are saved, is to prevent you from living for the Lord. And he does that by lying to you. And the problem is, as Christians, we often believe his lies. So I'm going to go through just a few lies that I think Satan tells. Now, there are many more. There are many things we could spend a lot of time going through ways that Satan lies to us. But I, I picked out a handful. We'll talk about them, a few things that he lies to us. And we'll start by re referencing those that are saved. But this applies to every person. And when we get to the end, we'll, we'll, we'll make the biggest lie that we already kind of mentioned already. But the devil lies to us as Christians. And the problem is a lot of us, we believe it. We'll have times in our life where we'll believe his lies. And we'll live accordingly to the lies that he has told us. It takes... It takes victory away from our life. It takes joy. It takes happiness away because we believe his lies. And often, we don't even realize we're believing his lies. Often, we don't even realize he's lying to us. We just think things are off. We're having a bad day. We're depressed. We feel bad, et cetera, et cetera. But de the devil lies to us. The first big lie he tells us is, I can't. I can't. You can't. You cannot. It, and the problem with this lie is it stops us before we start. Right, we, we tell our kids as they grow up, like, don't use that word, don't say I can't. Right, I've heard parents say that my kids don't, aren't allowed to say I can't. They're not allowed to use that word. It's just, it's not in the vocabulary. We cut it out of the dictionary, right? We delete it, it doesn't exist. I can't, don't tell me I can't, finds ways that you can. But the problem with that lie is the devil tells us as, as God's children that you can't because it stops us before you start. It fills you with fear. When you face obstacles and challenges in life, because you do. When you face storms, like the song talked about, because you will, and you probably, you, maybe you are, in your mind, in the back of your head, and, and even in your, your surroundings, you'll get the feeling of, I just, I can't do it. I can't get through this. I can't overcome it. I can't overcome my weakness. Maybe it's not something outwardly that's oppressing you, but I'm, I'm weak, I sin, and I can't overcome it. I can't. And so you sit there. How do you pray to your father when you can't, you feel like, honestly believe that you can't overcome your weakness? You can't overcome the sin that's in your life that's preventing you from being victorious and happy in your Christian life. I can't overcome my weakness. It's, I can't have a good marriage. 
Right? These are lies the devil tells us. I can't have a good marriage. The world will tell us that marriage is kind of pointless. Don't get married. It's just a piece of paper. You can't have a good marriage. The, the stereotypical thing is the marriages all end in bad things. And, the world, and we look at statistics, 50% plus now, marriages end in divorce, even among Christians. 50% of people that get married can't make their marriage work. And they've believed that lie, that they can't. And so they don't. I can't have a good marriage. Everything I touch goes wrong. I can't be a success. I try to do things, I mess up, it gets worse. I can't do this, I can't do that. I'm a failure. I can't follow God. I can't. I'm not good enough, right? I'm not smart enough. I'm not spiritual enough. I can't do what God wants me to do because of my limitations on me. Moses thought that, right? When the Lord's like, you're going to lead these people out of Israel. Moses like, I can't do that. I can't speak words out mouth good. Like if I were Moses, that's how I would have done it. I would just messed up big time on purpose. I can't speak words good, bad, me. And Moses is like, I can't do it, Lord. And God says, okay, Aaron, I'll help you. Uh, still, I can't do it. Fine, Aaron will help you. And he still wasn't confident that he could do it. Right? But God had a purpose for him. God had a plan for him. And, it, you know, kind of spoiler, but God was willing to help him out. Right? God was there with him. And then really, if we're honest about it, you're right, you can't. You, you cannot. As God's child, you can't do everything you're supposed to do. Because you're human and you do have weaknesses. But here's the great thing. You're God's child, which means he is there to help you. He tells us all throughout scripture, all the times that God says, you can't do it, but I can do it through you. If you're willing, if you're willing to follow me and submit yourself, I can help you through it. And with the Lord's power, with his abilities, then we can. But the devil tells us he can't. He's a liar. God says he can. Philippians 2.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. I'm pretty sure all means all. Right, that's been preached here before, all means all, right? So when the devil says, I can't, to you, and in your mind and in your heart, when you're looking, and we'll just apply it spiritually, I need to, you know, tell someone about the Lord. I can't, I can't do that, I'm too scared. I can't present the gospel to somebody else that doesn't know anything about it. What if they don't like me? What if they say no? What if they shoo me off? What if they shut the door in my face? What if they curse me out? What if they call me names? What if they say they're going to call the police if I don't get off their property? I can't do that. Fear, 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 fear. The devil's saying, yeah, don't tell anybody. Don't, you can't do it. It's scary. It is scary. Don't do it. The devil's like, then that's our human nature that's fearful of being rejected. Even though we know what God did for us. And you want everyone else to be able to experience that. But the Lord says, I can do all things. So God says, I'm with you. When you knock on that door, yeah, they may shut your door in the, their door in your face. But they're not shutting it in your face. They're shutting it in his face. They're shutting in the Lord's face, not yours. You're just the messenger. You have nothing to fear, and the Lord is there with you. The Lord says you can do all things. He knows your weaknesses too, right? We talk about Satan knows us. He's a human expert, but he, God knows you infinitely more than the devil does because he made you. God made you. He knows your weaknesses before you start. So don't say, I can't because I'm not perfect or I don't have the skill or the ability. God knows you. God knows your weaknesses. And if he says you can, you can in spite of your weaknesses. You know why? Because when you do things in spite of your weaknesses, like talk good in people front, it's not because of you, it's because of him. And when God gets the glory, which is what he wants, that's what God wants out of everything. You realize that. 
I won't go there because that, that's another sermon. But God wants glory in everything. That's the reason we're here is to glorify him. That's the reason the earth exists is to glorify him. So when you do things because you can't do them, but you do them in his power, who gets the glory? He does. And so when people that aren't able to because they're weak, like me, like you, when we do things that God tells us to do and we ignore Satan's lie, I can't, God gets the glory for it. And, that, and it, God always supports that. God always honors obedience. So God knows you, even your weaknesses, the sins you struggle with. All you can do is anything he wants you to do. All you can do is anything he wants you to do. Nothing, not even the devil, can stop you from doing that because he empowers you. When the Lord is doing through you and with you, no one or nothing can stop you, even yourself. Even your supposed weaknesses that you have cannot stop you when the Lord is there with you. Simply seeking to serve him, simply having that desire to seek to serve him is a success. Right? Proverbs 24, 16 says, A just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. Right? God knows we're weak. God knows we're frail. God knows we really can't on our own. And that's where he says, I can help you do it with me. But the devil leaves that part out. The devil says, you can't do it. You're weak. You fail. You're going to fall. You're going to fail. It's not even worth starting. And oftentimes, that prevents us from doing things for him. That prevents us from witnessing. That prevents us from teaching a Sunday school class. That prevents us from counseling a friend that's struggling. That helps. That prevents us from, from, from being willing to step up when opportunities are presented because we're afraid that we can't. It prevents us from doing what God wants us to do because we can't, because we've believed the devil's lie. Another lie he tells is God won't. God won't. And here it's, he, he, again, the devil always points to our failures. God won't help me. Who am I? Why would God help me? I'm nobody. God won't forgive me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've thought. Right? No one knows your thoughts unless you say them out loud. Right? And some, some of us are, have a harder time keeping that filter right from the brain to the mouth but there are thoughts we all have that no one else knows probably I mean those types of thoughts are probably not good thoughts either we have lustful thoughts or we have angry thoughts or we have like oh if I could just say this thing to that person oh boy scathing thoughts thoughts that you would never say out loud it's the thoughts that on the internet people type into Twitter and Facebook with, you know, because, hey, I can say this out loud, but not on some, in someone's face. I would never say it to their face, but I'll type it out here. Those thoughts that we all have in our head, and we're like, how could you put that on Facebook? How could you say that on Twitter? You would never say that to my face, but we all have those same thoughts. We're just, don't put it down, let it go out into the internet. God won't hear me. God won't love me. I'm not, I'm worthless. God won't do these things for me because I'm not like David. Right? I'm not like Samson. I'm not like Moses. I'm not like Abraham. I, I don't love the Lord. I don't do everything I'm supposed to do. I don't, I don't follow all God's laws. I sin. I lie. I cheat. I'm a bad person. God's not going to use me. God won't use me. And we believe that lie. And here's a, a spoiler alert. Everyone is a bad person. Moses killed a man. Anybody, any murderers in here? Anyone who killed a person? A human being don't raise your hand really but you know <laughs> get him no uh Moses murdered somebody 
David committed adultery and murdered that woman's husband. That's not good. That's not a good thing. But God still used them. They repented, right? They, they couldn't just be like, yeah, that's fine. You murdered someone, now move on. We'll move past it. No, no. God is just, and he's righteous, and he holds us accountable for our sins. But that doesn't exclude us from, from God being able to use you. God can use you. God will help you. God will forgive you. God does hear you. God does love you. Psalm 103, the, the Bible says, like as, a, like as a father pitieth his children, right? So think about the relationship you have with your kids. So the Lord pitieth them that, that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth we are dust. God knows us. God knows you're, you're, we're nothing. God knows we're a pile of dust with water mixed together and poof. Miraculously, because of God's creation, we're humans, we're breathing, we have brains. And God, but God knows our frailties. He knows we're dust. And he loves you anyway. He cares about you anyway. God isn't frustrated at your weaknesses and failings. Now, he doesn't want you to live in them. He doesn't accept them, but he's not, he doesn't get frustrated because you're weak, because you fail. It's okay to be weak. Because, again, spoiler, you all, everyone is. Everyone's weak. We all have weaknesses. We all have men, multiple weaknesses. It's okay to be weak. But we just need to, if we, when we understand that and, and dismiss the lie of God won't, understand it's okay to be weak, but we have to guard our hearts so we don't become stubborn towards the Lord where we just we get stuck in our sins. We get stuck on our weaknesses and we don't look for forgiveness from our weaknesses. It's okay to be weak in sin. It happens. You can't get away from it. But you have to be willing to repent of your sin and not stay there. You can't say that I'm in sin and I'll just live here because that's who I am. I'm, I'm frail. God knows I'm frail. God knows my heart, but I'm, just, I'm weak and I'm just going to live in this sin. No, no. That's not what God wants from you. That's still believing the lie. And staying there. God says, I know you're weak and that's okay, but you need to look to me to be your strength. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. So just meaning that when you sin, when your weaknesses are, are shown evident in your life, when you're not satisfied with that, when you don't say, well, God won't use me because I'm weak, but you say, God, I want you to use me in spite of my weaknesses, help me to be stronger. Help me to, to see my weaknesses and my sin and to be repentant of that. That contrite spirit just means to have a humbleness about you, to be like, I am wrong. You know, like if you got in trouble and kid and there's no way to say, I didn't eat the cake, it was everywhere, and you had to admit to it. You, you, your heart and you just feel like, I'm, yes, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, kind of close your eyes, I shouldn't have done it, I shouldn't have done it. That's what God wants us with our attitude to our weaknesses and to our sin. That overcomes God won't, because God will. God will forgive you. He does love you. He will forgive. He will love. He does love. Don't believe the Satan's lie that God won't use you because he will. Another lie that the devil tells us, and all these are kind of tied together, but nobody cares. God tells, or the devil tells us the lie that nobody cares. The stuff you do, the efforts you make, worthless, pointless. You're putting a lot of effort and a lot of oomph into something that doesn't matter. Because nobody cares. You know, it's similar to the first lie that was told. We mentioned earlier, Eve was told that God didn't have her best interest at heart. Right? That's what the devil told Eve. He said, yeah, hath God said? He said, no, no, God, God knows that when you eat that, you're not going to die, but you're going to become wise. You're going to be like him. You're going to know good. You're going to know evil. And he doesn't want you to have that. 
And so he, lo- he lied to say that God doesn't care about you. He just cares about himself. He's trying to hold you back. But the lie that nobody cares, we, we deal with that. We struggle with that, right? If you, if you have lived any amount of time where you've tried to accomplish things or you've tried to do things or you just tried to live life, you'll come across times where you feel like just no one cares about me. No one's interested in me. I've gone through all these problems. No one knows. I've, I've, I've done these good things and no one noticed. I've tried to do these things and nobody cares. It seems like all the effort I'm putting forth is just like out into the ether. It just evaporates into nothing. And why am I doing this? Nobody cares about me. I could disappear, never come to church. I could miss three weeks in a row and no one would even notice. We've all been there. We've all had those feelings. We've all had the, the, the feelings of despair, of loneliness. Nobody cares about me. And I'll just challenge you to say, knowing God and knowing the Holy Spirit and then knowing our adversary, who do you think informs those ideas of nobody cares? Do you think that's the devil or the Holy Spirit? Would the Holy Spirit ever give you thoughts of nobody cares about you? Would the Holy Spirit ever, ever give you an impression of the things that you do don't matter? Never. The Holy Spirit would never do that. Because that's not who he is. That's not who God is. That's not how God operates. He would never say that to us as his people. But when those, those thoughts and emotions come, we dwell on them. I mean, we, we, we're like, oh, yeah, that's true. And we kind of gather up those ideas and those thoughts, put them in a little bag. And then later on, we put them all out. We set them all out in this like, table. And we set them. We look at them all and be like, yeah, no one cares when I did this. No one cares when I did I can't believe it. What am I doing? No one cares about me. No one cares about anything I do. I don't matter at all. And we know that when you're in the middle of that moment, because you'll be there, you've been there, stop yourself and say, wait a minute, this sounds like a lie. Because it is. It's a lie. We know God cares. Romans 8.32 says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also give uh, freely give us all things? But he's saying, how could we ever say God doesn't care, nobody cares, when God sent his own son to die for us? That's like the ultimate sacrifice. So there's no way we could logically, truthfully say, God doesn't care about me, because he sacrificed his own son. And if for some reason we think, well, he's God, it was easier for him. Again, let's take our human relationships, which mirror what God's relationship with us is. If I took Carter, Carter, just stand up. He's awake, just make sure, this is to make sure he's awake. Stand up. That's my son. Now, if, if someone's like, I murdered somebody, and I'm going to, to don't sit down until I say, I murdered somebody, right, he's on death row, this criminal, he murdered somebody, um, he's going to go to death, they're going to put him to death, right, Ex- execute him, well, whatever the method is, that's what they're going to do, and I come to this criminal, and I say, you know, I don't want, you don't, are you sad for what you did? Yeah, I wish I never would have done it, I, I, I repent, it's a bad thing, I shouldn't have done it, so okay, come on, Carter, get in that. Get in that electrocution chair. Get in that chair where they're going to put that, that liquid in your veins that's going to kill you. And I say, I love this guy so much, this murderer, this rotten, dirty person, but he's repented of his sin. He's changed. So I'm going to say, my, but someone has to die. Someone has to pay for it. You don't just say, I'm sorry, and they let you off. So my son, you sit down in that chair, put him to death instead. I would never, ever do that. I don't know that I would do that for any of you who I'm, whom I know. But God did that for all of us. 
And if we say, well, that's not really that important because he's God, no. The relationship that I have with him, which, you know, we, our relationship isn't probably quite as good as God and Jesus, right? We, we work, we're working on it. <laughs> probably more the father than the son. But it mirrors God's relationship. So he loves his son just as much as I love my son. He loves Jesus with the same fervor and intensity, but pureness and no sin and justice. He loves Jesus just as much more than I love my own son. You can sit down. And so God was willing to give that up for all of us that don't deserve it, didn't do anything to earn it, but he was willing to do that. So how could we think someone that would do that doesn't care about me? Because the reason we think that is because we believe the lie. Yes, and when we just look at it logically, it doesn't make sense. And if we looked at it logically, we would never believe those lies because we'd understand the truth and the truth would set us free. Lies that de the, the devil gives us, but we, we, we dwell on them. We, we, we just we set up camp and we just stay there, man, because we, we, just, we're, we buy into de the devil's lies so hard sometimes. We take that fish hook and hook, line, and sinker, right? We swallow it all the way up because we just, we, for some reason, we believe that lie. And the thing is, if we know the Lord loves us and cares about us, people care about us too. Will people make mistakes? Yes. Well, people cannot care for you as much as they should all the time. Just like you don't care for someone else like, like you should. But when people and you have that feeling and you believe that lie, it's natural in your natural state to want to pull away, to isolate yourself. Because when you're hurt, you kind of want to ball up, right? You want to get in that fetal position. You want to kind of get in the dark corner and say, no one loves me. Everybody hates me. I think I'll eat some worms. And just kind of isolate yourself into a corner and say, no one loves me, no one cares about me. It's, it's counterproductive, though, to what you need, right? Because when, when you hear that lie and you feel that lie, what you really need is you need to get out. You need to get with God's people. You need to be at church. You need to be interacting with one another and realizing they do care about me. You know what? I care about them. You need to do things to care for other people. So when you start believing the lie that nobody cares about me, nobody knows me, Hebrews 10, 25 says, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. Now that verse is often used for, come to church, and it applies, come to church. You know we have church at 6 o'clock tonight too, where the same thing will happen here, a different person, different message, but the same interactions can happen at 6 o'clock tonight. And then, then get this, it's, it's radical. But then there's a day in the middle of the week, it's called Wednesday. Right? Usually it's like halfway to the weekend for most people, but we come to church again at 7 o'clock on Wednesday night, and we do the same thing we're doing now. We sing, we fellowship, we, com we show compassion to one another, we care about one another. If you ever feel like nobody cares about me, count how many, time, how many services you've been to. If you're missing a couple, if you probably come to one of those, you'd probably stop believing the lie that nobody cares about me because there are people here that care about everybody. The more I've come to this church, and I've, we figured out here recently, um, I won't go into the story how we discovered, but we've been, I've been coming here for 10 years. Now, to some, it's like, wow, it's a long time. To some, like, ah, child's play still, right? I've been coming here my whole life. I realize that. But for, for me, a decade, I've been coming to this church for 10 years, and, and that's a big deal. And I've got to know people in those 10 years, and, and I've gotten to love people. And I've gotten to see people pass away and go to heaven. And I've got to meet new people. And I can tell you, the longer you're here, the more often you come, the less you'll think people don't love me. And people don't care about me. 
because it's just, the, it's just logical and evident by truth, that's not the case. So don't believe the devil's lie that no one cares about me. Let people in. Share your struggles. Huh, that's hard. Share your struggles. Share the things you deal with. Don't say, well, I don't want to bother anyone. I don't want to burden anyone. You know, it's, I'll just handle it. I'll be a brave, put on a brave face, and I'll just gut it out. No, no, we're here for each other. Share each other's burdens. Pray for one another, right? Let people in. God doesn't do lone wolf. God doesn't do lone wolves unless you're like Elijah. And even Elijah, he thought he was a lone wolf. God's like, you're not a lone wolf. There's thousands of other people. God doesn't do lone wolves. God does groups. God does packs. God wants people together. That's how we stave off some of those lies that people don't care about us. And then if you really, again, I said this already, but be that encourager to combat somebody else's lie. Because the devil's lying to all of us. He is. It'll never stop. So if you want to help someone else, if I want to help you, I'm going to encourage you, and maybe that'll help you combat the devil's lie to you. So be an encourager, right? Be someone that's going out of their way to exhort, like the Bible says there in Hebrews. Exhort one another. Encourage each other. Build each other up. Battle the lies that Satan is telling us as a church body. And help each other battle those lies, because they're not true. And sometimes we need some help to realize that and see that. Last lie that the devil tells us is it's too late. It's a power, this one's strong. It's a powerful lie. It's too late. The feeling of guilt that should drive us to repentance is often used to make us hide from God in fear instead. Right? To say it's too late, you've done too much, you can't turn around, you've gone too far, it's too late for you. Really what that should do is say, oh, it's, it's almost too late for me. Lord, help me. God, I need you. I can't do it on my own. Help me, Lord. You get involved. But instead, the lie says, oh, that's too late. I'm just going to further and further and further and further away because it's too late i can't make a change psalm 103 8 says the lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger and plenteous in mercy praise the lord for that praise the lord for that in my life the lord is slow to anger i I don't know about you but i I make similar mistakes often like i make the same mistake i'm like i'm not going to do that again and then what happens i do it again Right? I make those mistakes, and man, I sure am glad that the Lord is slow to anger. Plenteous in mercy. Whew, that, I, love, I love that phrase, plenteous. That just gives me like it's just overflowing. It's never going to run out. That's what God has towards you. So it's never too late. It's never too late to live for him. It's never too late to turn your life around for him. It's never too late to do something for him. It's never too late to live right. Lamentations 3.23 says they are new, and this is talk about mercy. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is faithful to us. We don't deserve it, but he is because he is God. And that means his mercy is for our sin and mercy is for our life. Every day they're brand new, every day. And he never gets tired of it because it's plenteous all the time. God says that he has mercy for us, right? Do we have lost opportunities in life? Absolutely. We've all blew it at some point, right? We all did something, made a choice, made a decision that maybe took something off the table for us that we could do to serve the Lord. We've all had those experiences. We've all, we've all had those losses, those missed opportunities. But we cannot allow that to make us throw everything else out the window. Say, so, well, I'm going to throw it all away because I missed this opportunity. I can never do what I wanted to do. I can never do exactly what God wanted me to be because I did this. So I'm just, nah, forget it all. It's too late. 
No, no, don't throw everything away just because we made one mistake. If that were the case, we'd all just still be in bed right now, right? Just wallowing in all the mistakes that we've made. Why get up? Why do anything? We've all messed up. We can't live that way. Take comforting knowing that it's not too late. The Lord wants to use you today, right now. God wants you and your life, regardless of where you are spiritually. God wants to use you for his glory. God wants you to do something for your spiritual life and for people around you. God wants to use you today. So let's go back to the boxing illustration. Right? He's in the corner, eyes swollen shut, looking at his coach out of the one good eye he has left. And his coach is like, I got to throw the towel in, Bobby. I got to throw the towel in, Bobby. And Bobby sits there and goes, man, but that's a counterproductive to what I've been taught my whole life. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Throw in the towel. It's my coach. My dad said, follow your coach. Listen to your coach. My coach is saying, throw in the towel. We're going to quit. We're going to throw in the towel. And as he's sitting there and he's, he's trying to listen. He's trying to focus. He's trying to make that choice and that decision. Do I quit? Do I keep going? In this big crowd, about halfway up on the right-hand side, there's a guy who stands up and he goes, Don't quit, Bobby! You can do it, son! You can do it! Get him! Get out there! Knock him out! You can do it! And while his coach is sitting there, no, throw in the towel. we got to throw in the towel. Got to quit. Got to quit. His dad's out there. Come on, son! You can do it! You got this! And you know what he said? He looked at his coach and he's like, Coach, I can't quit. He's like, okay, that's your choice. And so he gets, the, the bell rings that third round. He goes, he goes, I lost all form. He goes, I had no form. I had no discipline. He goes, I just go out there. I'm just swinging like crazy. No left jab. I'm not I'm just swinging, swinging, swinging. He goes, problem is the guy's covered up. He goes, I'm not getting any points. I'm not landing anything. All I'm doing is wearing myself out. He goes, but I'm swinging. I'm, I'm, I'm energized. I'm not going to quit. I'm swinging. I'm punching. He's like, if you ever wore boxing gloves, those get real heavy. How much do boxing gloves weigh typically, Brother Juan? 12 pounds. Okay. The, by the time you're done, it's like 50, right? You're like dragging like a, a, a gorilla, dragging his, that's probably not pounds, is it? dragging his knuckles on the ground, and he's just tired, right? He's swinging, he's, he's giving it all, and he's not landing nothing. The thing is, the other guy he's swinging at that is blocking is like, yeah, he's, he's, he's just waiting for him to lose all his strength. And now he's already got the match won, right? The guy hitting him in the eye. But what do you want to do when you got a guy that's doing that? You know, knock him out. So he's waiting for the opportunity to knock Bobby out. Bobby's swinging, giving everything. He's, he's losing it. He's getting real tired. His, his guard starts coming down. And just as his guard's about to come down, he's like, Bobby just goes, bop, right in the nose. And explosion of blood. He goes, I broke his nose. They say, well, how do you know he broke his nose? Well, bloody nose drip, broken nose. Broke his nose, just blood everywhere, all over him, all over the ref, all over his glove. And the ref called the fight. He wins. He wins because he just... He didn't knock him out, but he couldn't go any further. So moral of the story, right? He, he was there, and he said, I hate to you know, use my coach as the devil, but you've got one saying, throw in the towel, you can't do it, quit, don't do it anymore. But you got your father out in the stand saying, you can do it. Don't quit. You can do it. I'm here with you. I can help you do it. Don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. Keep going. Don't stop. Don't believe the lie. So who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to listen to today? Right now, in your life, who are you going to listen to? Good illustration, uh, bad illustration, no illustration, regardless of the illustration. Who are you going to listen to in your life? Are you going to listen to the lies of, of, from the father of lies that bring you down, that make you ineffective, that take you out of the game, take you out of the match? Or are you going to listen to the father, 
that wants you in the match and is there with you in the match, is fighting with you in the match, empowering you to do what you can do, not because of your power, but because of his. Who are you going to listen to today? Father lies or the father? Maybe all you hear is lies in your life because you don't know the father. Maybe you don't have the father in your corner yelling, you can do it, you can do it, because you've never met the father. You've never accepted Christ as your savior, so you're, you don't have the father to counteract the lies. All you hear in your life is lies. Everything that's emotionally tumultuous for you is a lie from the devil, and you have nowhere else to look. You have nothing else to go through. Like this, the song with the eye of the storm, we have him, but if you don't have him, it's all storm. And the, 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 bad, the bad news, I'm sorry to say, that when life ends and you feel like, well, I should have a reprieve, it gets worse. Because now it's, you're separated from God. At least here on this earth, God is trying to get in touch with you. God is bringing messages like this and sermons and people in your life, hopefully, to say God loves you. And God says you, you don't have to listen to the lies of the devil. But if you don't know the Father today, all you hear is those lies. And they drag you down. And, the, and his purpose is to drag you down so much that you never hear the truth. And you're in darkness for all eternity. Not, not my words, not, not what you know, a thing to scare you to live the right way. It's just what God says. It's just what the Bible says is true. The problem, none of us have been to either place, so, you know, we feel like, well, maybe it's not true. I mean, I'm going to trust what God says because God's done a lot of things that have come true. God does things that come true. And so if God says something, I'm, I mean, just using logic, the brain that he has given me, that I'm going to believe that what he says is true. And so I believe that there's a hell that people go to that don't trust him. And it's not even about the fire. It's not even about the darkness. It's about the separation. You're separated from God for, for I mean, never ending, never ending. Like hundreds and thousands and millions of years, I mean, literally millions of years plus with no contact with God. And then add on the fire and the darkness and the torment. I mean, it's, it's not, not a place that was meant for humans. It was meant for the devil and the people that followed him, the angels that followed him. But again, devil hates God so much. He wants to take as many humans there as well because of his hatred. Don't let the devil's hatred of God make you go, eh, I don't think it's true. Or I want to go to hell. We're going to party there with my friends. Another lie, just straight up lie told by the devil to, to entice people to, to have them not believe the truth. Know the truth, and the truth is that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again to set you free. So if you don't know the Father today, if you don't have that guy yelling out in the stands that you can do it to, to assuage the lies of the devil, you can change that today. The Lord will come. He'll live in your heart. He'll be with you always, forever. And you can withstand the devil's lies. And Christian, if you're already saved, don't, don't let the devil have power over you. Don't believe the lies that he, he has sold you. Because he, he will sell you lies today. He will tell you lies tomorrow. He will tell you lies for the rest of your life to prevent you from being useful. To, not even that, just prevent you from being happy. Yeah. To prevent you to, from having joy. And when we're not happy, we don't have joy, we're, it's a lot harder for us to do. Don't allow the devil to get in your heart. Don't allow the devil to get in your mind, Christian. Because that's what he wants. He wants to throw you off. He wants to lie to you because he hates you. So anytime you have any of those lies come into your mind and, and into your life, and you start living in accordance to those lies, realize the person that's telling you those things hates you. Hates you, hates you, just hates you. Like, I don't even know a stronger word, despises you. 
just wants to see you fail and be miserable and just, like if he could scrush you under his thumb, he would because he hates you so much. Don't believe a word he says to you. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.